I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Millennial Property with John Pigeon and Emily Wallace in studio today together and it's Q&A time. Emily put on the Facebook group uh, who's got some great questions for us and once again you've delivered. We cannot make this stuff up. So talking about some new versus old, talking about insurances and holding costs and how we do that talking about the first home guarantor scheme and much more so without further ado let's get into it first question comes from Kristen scott and Kristen says they're currently building a house which they'll rent out as their first investment property well done Kristen, on getting into the market hats off i don't have anyone in my family or a friend group who has a second home or investment property so i'm flying a bit blind We've come to the right place. What insurances do I need on a rental home? What bills to expect different from the bills I pay for my PPR should I budget for? I've never rented before, so I'm not sure who pays what when it comes to water, electricity and all those things. And thanks with a long S at the end. A long S, yes. (laughs) Yes, so absolutely, Kristen. Well done on taking the plunge. I'm sure it'll be a good result for you longer term. Now, I would start, Emily, by saying we need good team members in our corner. So the mortgage broker's got you alone maybe, but from now we need to chat to our accountant and say, right, this is how we're structuring things. This is what you do to record keep and you have an awesome property manager. Now, I know you interviewed a property manager a few weeks ago, Mm -hmm. so check that episode out, everyone, but a good property manager will give you a list of things that you need to be doing anyway and... You can ask them as part of the income that they earn from you to be able to pay your bills on your behalf and keep a track of that and send you a monthly statement and then an annual statement, which is awesome for your accountant because you can just tick and flick that onto them and they can compile your tax return along with the interest you've paid to the bank on your loan. So there's not much more than that from a logistics point of view, but tell us what insurances we need, Emily. Well, I think the biggest thing around insurances is making sure that, first of all, you don't double up too much. I think yes. because a lot of property managers can sort your landlord insurance for you, and then you also need building insurance. You must have building insurance in order for your loan to go through. That's just a stock standard need of any bank in the form of minimum certificate of currency for that. But when you're looking into landlord insurance, You need to be careful what that actually covers you for in the event that tenants are in arrears with their payments, there's damage at the property from the tenants. There are policies that do vary. And to be honest, my piece of advice outside of talking to property managers who deal with this frequently would be to look at someone who is an insurance specialist who looks at these things day in, day out because if T's and C's aren't your thing, then find someone who who loves that. Yeah, absolutely. I think rent default, malicious damage are the two main ones along with loss of rent. So they're all different terminologies and mean different things. Yeah, it's a big thing as to what's included but then check that red 
column that says what's not included um, yeah. because there are some cheap and nasty policies out there without promoting anyone. I Most of mine are Terry Shear insured. Likewise, yeah. Um, get some discount with multiple properties, which is cool. But, yeah, do your homework. I say start with the insurer that you're using in your life and mm. if you've got someone there, then, um, yeah, but outsourcing it to a insurance broker is, is another option as well. If you are, just on that, if you are buying in a situation where there's multiple dwellings on the one site, maybe it's a townhouse complex or something, just be across what insurance is shared with common property. You know, sometimes when you're paying body corporate fees, it is public liability insurance for the driveway and common areas. It could entail insurance for some of the shared walls or roof as well. So just know what that element covers and what you need in addition to. If you provide that policy to an insurance broker, they'll work it out for you. Absolutely. Now, Kristen asks a question about the electricity and the water, et cetera. Now, you don't need to pay the tenants electricity for them. That's very noble of you, but you don't need to. Uh, however, you will need to pay the water supply charges, right? So the sewer and everything else. But then you can on charge, if you've got it metered correctly, you can on charge the water usage. So again, get your property manager to split that up for you and send the invoice to the tenant to pay the water usage that they've used. Now, one thing that's not noted on here and can be quite common in a lot of new builds is the NBN connection and set up for the first time. Now, I don't actually think there's a blanket rule on this. I myself as a landlord would connect the NBN for the first time and provide the box comes with that so that whoever rents the property, the NBN's ready to go. But I know being a tenant of a brand new property in the past where it wasn't set up, I had to pay $250 to get the initial connection actually done right? plus the box. Wow. So look, I think it would set the right tone with your tenant if you did have it set up and also it's something that belongs to the property that you have for life. The box belongs with the property address. There's a difference between MBN ready and MBN connected, which I found out the hard way. (laughs) Ready is when the green light appears and the the red light is when it's just connected. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, make sure you know the difference and uh, accommodate that because Mm. the worst thing being a tenant moving in and then having to wait three weeks for someone to come out. No, it's um, not from sour note to start with, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah very much so. Uh, so definitely things to consider. One top tip that I you know, took away from the interview I had with Emma, the property manager, was the whole thing of setting the right tone from the outset. So leaving a little gift, a little housewarming gift mm. for your new tenant. Maybe it's just, I mean, one time I got a tea towel and a cheese knife and I was really happy with that. <laughs> Would have they? You know? yeah. yeah, that's great. Um, anything's a bonus. So appreciate your tenant. They will appreciate you and it's a good tone to start the journey on. And and I think recruiting a good property manager is so key, isn't it? Like the difference between a good and a bad is is worlds apart. So if you've got a good property manager, then they will choose correctly to begin with, uh, which allows you to sleep at night. But you also need to be on the front foot and to ensure that they are doing what they need to do on an ongoing basis because property management teams do change and who's looking after your property day one might not be looking after your property day 30. Bit churn and burn. And one thing I must say that's becoming a bit evident in the industry is seems to be roles where there's one person who goes to get the business and meets you as the landlord to like sign you on with the agency, but then there's actually someone else who manages the property. Yes. And so apparently whispers are that the industry is changing to a model where the person you meet is the person you manage your property, which is how it used to be. They tried something yeah. different, hasn't quite worked and they're going back to the good old, you know, you get who you get. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that old ad, the person who runs a store owns a store. Yeah, yeah. love it. That's what we want. Yeah, the old corner shop. Now, Kristen, you've obviously already bought this property so it's too late for you but for anyone else out there that's looking at buying an investment property, 
understand the state's tenancy laws because, and, and Vic is, has gone through a massive overhaul, hasn't it, in terms of what's required as a landlord to provide to the tenant in that property that they're, they're going to be living in. So just understand what the minimum standards are. And when you're looking at buying a property, seeing whether it's got that or not, because if you can look at that and have a checkbox, you might realize that, hang on a minute, I've got to put heating and cooling in, I've got to have door locks, I've got to have window locks, I've got to have X, Y, Z. All of a sudden, we're adding that up. And before we even rent this out, it could be another $10,000. Yeah, and then it's also the ongoing costs too because with the VIC changes, and I don't know um, if this applies in other states, but I think every second year you have to have a gas check done. It's like 100 bucks for a call-out yes, fee. Yes, that's right. And then every year it's smoke detectors as well. So there yeah. is an extra, you know, it's only a couple hundred bucks here or there, but it does add up. I mean, yeah, Queensland yeah. have just gone through some changes as well. But look, it, all in all, it's a good thing. It just means that our, our tenants are, are looked after and they're not living in a, I don't know, something that's not livable. Um. Yeah, which is actually the reason quite a few investors are selling out, not because they can't afford the rate rises, mm. it's actually because they can't afford to make the house compliant for tenants. Yeah. So be aware of that as a buyer yeah. as well. That's right. Good question, Kristen. Moving on to another question from the Facebook group. And side note, if you're not part of the Facebook group, you really should be. I mean, Facebook's probably not the go-to thing for posting photos and stuff anymore, but it definitely is for groups. I'm in so many groups and find some good resources. So make sure you jump into my millennial money Facebook page. Next question comes from Hannah Simmons. And Hannah has asked, what are your thoughts on the government's recent first home buyer guarantee schemes? How do you think it will affect the market? Now, I assume Hannah's referring to the update or the extension of the current ones. Let's run with that one. Yeah, let's go with that. So you're going to explain what the new... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the updates are. John's handballing me. <laughs> no, look, I don't think there'll be massive changes. Um, I think what they've done is extended the time in which you haven't owned a house to be able to then qualify for the scheme. So I think it's something like if you haven't owned a property for 10 years, you're now eligible to take advantage of the, the government's first home um, guarantor scheme. So that's a good thing. But I think the percentages will be quite low as to who would now qualify for that. The only thing that might change, so from July 1, so if your friends, siblings or other family members will be able to jointly apply for the home, first home guarantee and the regional guarantee. So it's more that you get a bit more choice in joint ventures as opposed to just like a partner. Yeah. It used to just be partners or singles. So I think, I think it's more so that before you could only apply if you're a single or buying a house with a partner but now you can apply together. So saying previously, schemes are restricted to married or single people as well as those in de facto relationships. Now, this year, from this year, friends, siblings and other family members will be able to jointly apply for the first home. It's the guarantee scheme. So it's the low, it's the 2% deposit yeah. one. Yeah. To expand on that, the, the guarantor scheme is, a, is like a 2% deposit, no LMI, and you pay back 98% of the property. So I, I think the key part of this is, if we can now come in with a friend or family member or whoever that's an adult earning money, are we able to handle the mortgage and do we want to go in to buying something with someone else that's yeah. not our partner? Mm-hmm. I think that's the key part of it here, isn't it? Yes, like, the key difference is the options of who you can buy with really. But that I don't think that's going to change the market drastically because I wouldn't say majority of people would consider buying a property with their friend, maybe their sibling, maybe. Yeah, I think the but, sibling one is is more likely, isn't it? Yeah. The friend thing, yeah, they're sitting
as we spoke about on the last episode, maybe it's now, a, well, this is the only option I've got. We should hang out and do this. Be wary that you need to have your ducks in a row and have agreements in place going off topic a little bit. But do we think it's going to change things in terms of more buyers into the market? I don't think drastically. You know what would change things? Looking at the stamp duty. Like, let's just fix stamp duty. The thresholds are ridiculous. $600,000 in Victoria is not first home buyer territory anymore. 600 should be regional Victoria, not not capital city. You're so right. Mm. It really should be. I think at minimum, 750 should be the benchmark of 750 and below, no stamps. I think that would change the market. And look, the fact that the the entry level point hasn't changed of where that scheme sits over the last however many years. I think it's been since 2017, I think, that got introduced. Yeah, and you've had change of government down here. Haven't they done anything since they got in? No. No. What What are they they even doing? What are they doing? (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah. No, it is, um, it's, yeah. It's the kicker. It's like you save your deposit and then you're like, Oh, and stamp duty. Mm. <laughs> it's just, yeah. yeah. So I think that would change. But honestly, Hannah, I don't think the updates on these schemes, I think it's a bit it's a bit measly. It's a bit, eh. Yeah. Well, most of them are, unfortunately. And the devil's in the detail. But as we've said on previous shows, what will change it is, yeah, yes, your stamp duty exemptions being higher, but also just more properties being built, yeah. right? More government support to build houses. Yeah. Okay, one more before the break. James Bristow, are you better off putting 20% down and keeping money in the offset or 30% down to possibly get a lower interest rate, assuming you can afford both? James, fantastic problem to have. Emily, what are you doing here? Well, me personally, I go with the mindset of putting down the least amount possible when I go to buy property. That's just me personally. Yeah, you just don't Um, like parting with your own? You'd rather borrow it from the bank? Yeah, I'd just rather borrow it from the bank and I'd just rather buy well, grow equity and then have the proposition to go again. And that's because I'm rent vesting. If it was my own home, I probably would think about things a little bit differently. But for me, I would go 20% down and keep the money in the offset personally. Mm. However, it would depend on how different the rate is between 20 versus 30% deposit, which I I don't believe it's that drastic. But I haven't heard of it being that drastic, but... In saying that, I don't meet a lot of people that want to put 30% down either. Um, I know in some locations you're forced to because it's remote or high density or whatever it might be. So that that is part or even commercial. But if it's residential, now, James, I'm going with the fact that you're buying your own home to live in here. It's not an investment. doesn't really say, but let's go with the owner rock. I'm with you, Emily. We're putting down 20% and keeping the other 10% in the offset on the basis that it's our, not necessarily our emergency funds, but it's it's our funds to have flexibility with. If we pay it down, we can't get it back again. And if we do get it back, it comes back out as equity, which is okay if we're going to buy an investment property. But I'd just like to have choice. As long as, James, you're disciplined to have that 10% sitting in the offset and you, you keep your mitts off it and you're not buying jet skis and boats and trips to Paris and all those exciting things. We need to be as fluid as possible. If it is an investment, I'm going neither. Oh. I'm going 10%. 10%. Look and, out. And keeping the other 20 for future principal place or further investing. Now, we're going to take a quick break. Yes, we are. We're at break time. We're going to have a break, have a Kit Kat. You um, like Kit Kats? Do you know me? Anything that has chocolate on <laughs> yeah. it is me. Uh, so I'm going to have a chocolate and when I come back, we will answer some more questions. 
If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Okay, so we're back. Vic asks, is it still a good idea to buy, and still in brackets, by the way, a good idea to buy land and do a build for your PPOR, principal place of residence? What are the pros, if any, and cons in addition to the recently hot off the press builders collapses? So, Vic, let's reference previous episodes here. Did an interview with James Hanley from Cavalier Homes, so go back and listen to that if you haven't already. That might provide a bit more of an insight into the whole builder collapse thing. It's not the whole industry. It is just certain builders or building companies that that have gone into liquidation, unfortunately. My take on this before I throw to you, Emily, is that does this work for your strategy? Now, your principal place of residence is invariably something that you're going to live in for five to 10 years minimum, you like to think. So, it needs to tick a lot of boxes for you. It needs to tick the price box. It needs to tick the location box and it needs to tick the cash flow box. Can I afford the mortgage and is it is it working for me in my life at the time? Do I want to live in my own home? So if it ticks all of that, there's no reason why you wouldn't, but I want you to weigh it up against what would an existing house cost in that particular area, if there is any, because some of these are brand new Suburbs, literally, aren't they going up? So if we can do that, I do that exercise. I don't necessarily have a a problem with building a home in these conditions, but the holding costs are now a lot greater than they were through the time of the build. You will save on stamp because you're just buying the land first. But choose wisely when you're choosing a building company. And and again, in that episode, we talk about how to choose wisely and the questions we're asking. And and ideally, we're finding a, a local company People that you can, that have been living in that area for 10, 15, 20, 30 years that know the ins and outs of, of that local area. For me, the biggest thing when people are considering house and land packages is you have to be comfortable with knowing that deadlines change. I think when people 
go into these contracts and, you know, predicted land titling and then predicted slab and frame stage and all these different stages of the build, like general rule of thumb, it ain't going to happen when they say it's going to happen. <laughs> it just doesn't, even when they overestimate. So I think if you are someone who's going down the house and land package, you need to be okay with the fact that deadlines can change and not be banking on, you know, your long-term outcome being definitive and sort of, you know, basing on this short-term information that you have. So stick the course. I know it can be frustrating. Um, so would you go in with some worst-case scenarios? Like if they're yeah. saying 12 months, then say 18 months. Yeah, can you afford to rent for that time? What does it look like? And then the other thing is, as you touched on rightly so, some of these suburbs are brand new suburbs. So you really need to be okay with like there's, you know, Thornhill Park for Victoria, an example, is an area that was promised all these things that haven't happened, like a community village and shops and all this stuff and it hasn't happened. I would be selective at a macro and micro level, macro level being maybe something that is a newer area but already has some things going for it, i.e. a shopping centre, a train station, a bus stop, that sort of stuff not going completely blind, being sold the dream and then not delivered. Yeah, and and the owner-oc versus investor ratio, very hard when it's a brand new suburb or brand new larger estate. So, But you can get a feel for, for what that might look like as to how easy it is to go and buy land in that area, right? So you can ring up as a, a person off the street that says, look, I'm interested in buying some land here. They should be asking you, are you going to live in the home or is it for an investment, right? Because a lot of developers will actually cap their investor allocation in that land estate, which is awesome. We ideally want like an 80-20, worst case 70-30 in favour of the owner rock, which means that the lawns look great, the people look after homes, they usually build bigger and better homes because it's their owner rock. So it's a generally got a better feel about it. So you don't want to be in, a, in an estate that's got the other way around, 70% investor and 30% owner rock because it's got disaster written all over it. If you're not too hung up about the ins and outs of picking you know, the floor plan and where the PowerPoints go and all that sort of stuff, a suggestion I do have and I do somewhat speak from personal experience here is understanding there's always going to be a portion of sales that cannot be completed. The buyer has a change of circumstance, cannot meet finance, or maybe they've moved states and need to on-sell a contract under a nomination clause or something like that. If I were going to a house and land display village or to a sales office, the first thing I would be asking, are there any nomination clauses or any nomination sales that are available at the moment? So what that means is someone has signed a contract at a said price, they can no longer fulfill that contract and your name basically gets substituted into that contract for that property. Now, there's every chance that it could be at slab and frame stage, the floor plans already mapped out and things are done, but you could save yourself a bit of time, number one, because it's already you know up and running. And number two, you could potentially save yourself some money because if that contract was signed 12 months ago at a year ago's prices, I believe legally you cannot make money off a nomination sale. It has to be at the same contract same price. price, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, just for those who want to think about another avenue and aren't wedded to their own design and picking their own builder, maybe look at some of those ones. It's about, I think someone told me it was about 10% of all estates have sales that fall over. Yeah, so. yeah. And it is common because people's situation changes. But, mm. but Vic, maybe think about in closing – how long we intend to live here? Is, is it going to be a home that's, that's your forever home or is it just a, a temporary to uh, as a stepping stone to that next house or, or region that you're wanting to get into? But, uh, yeah, good luck with that. Good question. So Jake has asked me a question directly. You won't see us in the Facebook group because sent me a DM 
And Jake says, my partner and I started building our first home in late 2021. We're slowly moving forward in the build, but still don't have a move-in date, which goes to what I just touched on is don't, don't expect any timelines. We are wanting to purchase an investment property. We're trying to make a decision. On one side, we think we should wait until we're in our new house and know how much our expenses will be before we overcommit. But on the other side, we are still living with my parents with no rent. So while our expenses are so low, this could put us in a better position to borrow getting us into investment property sooner and starting to build up equity. We have researched a few locations and we are thinking it's spending around $450,000 with a 10% deposit. What would you do? Not a bad position to be in. Yeah, good position. Yeah. Free vesting he wants to do. Free vesting. Yeah. Well, for a period of time. For a short period. Yeah. So until his house is built, I'd like to get some certainty or more certainty around when this house is going to finish. And again, like you spoke about, just understand that it's going to blow out further. So factor in another six months of holding costs. And, and whilst it's all rosy living in, at home with no rent, the banks are assessing you at, at a minimum level of cost of living. They're not saying, Jake, you're living at home with mum and dad. We're not going to apply any costing to your life. So understand how much you can borrow and, and how that affects things. And it seems as though you've already done that, but they've, they might have already factored in your, your general cost of living anyway as a, as a template. If, you, if you've ticked off all those things and factored in the, the running costs of holding that build and you know that you want to buy an investment property at that price and you've got your strategy worked out, it's really a risk profile. Are you prepared to factor in things out of your control whilst you go and buy that investment property? So think, Jake, of the worst case scenarios. So what are the worst case scenarios? The build takes six months longer. You probably won't get kicked out of home. So there's no issues there unless you stuff up at home. But then the, the the buffers that you need to buy that investment property. So if it's going to be 420K that you're spending, what's it going to rent for, the outgoings, what's the before tax and after tax amount per annum that we need to factor in? Because you're juggling potentially two balls at the same time. You got holding costs on your build and then you've got an investment property that might be costing you 500 a month or 1,000 a month. So just I'm okay with it. Just make sure you know your numbers long before you sign another contract. Yeah, I would be more okay with it if Jake had said we've already been, you know, practicing, like we've already been putting our mortgage repayments aside and there are payments, you know, the gap between the rent and the costs that it would be for our investment property. If it had already been practicing that, and that would be a bit better, I think, just to know what life looks like when you've got those two outgoings. The biggest thing here is the beauty of being able to free vest for the moment, like live that up while you can. Totally, if not forever. <laughs> no, not forever. But one thing, and, and you're probably all over this, Jake, but when you complete this build, you'll have a blank template of house that needs to be filled with furniture and fridges and dishwasher and everything else that goes with it. So over expect to pay for that stuff. So if you're thinking you can get in with furniture and all that and beds and whatever for 20 grand, then double that as well. So yeah. you've factored in all worst case. Yeah. And just also understand your inclusions for anyone buying a new property. You know, is the landscaping included? Because sometimes it's not. Is it a complete turnkey? Do you need to buy blinds, curtains, all that sort of stuff? Um, not just the furniture. It does amaze me how many people don't allocate a furniture budget. They just like, oh yeah, we got the house. Oh, we need a like we've only got we've been living in a two bedroom apartment. Yeah. We're going to a four bedroom house. We don't have that much stuff. Yeah, the, so. mil- the milk crack gets a bit sore on your bum. Yeah, mm. indeed. Um, thanks for submitting that question though, Jake, and best of luck with whatever it is that you choose to do. I think it's a, an awesome position to be in. Yeah, the, the risk profile's 
definitely there by the sounds of things is thinking about what next. He just doesn't want to uh, lay easy, does he? So I like that attitude but just need to go in with some structure. I've got a question for you, John, just in closing because oh, we've, we've quest- kind that, of rounded out the questions. You know what you call those? Group. Questions without notice. Questions without notice. So you're on the spot, you're in the hot seat. But I think it's beneficial to everyone. If you were a buyer at the moment, someone active in the market, and you had $600,000 to spend, what are you going to do with that money? Uh, as in where am I going to put it? What location or it's what It's an open-ended question. Property? You can wow. answer however you like. <laughs> I'm giving you $600,000 to spend. What do you do? Mm. Look, I I love land. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the land lover. The land lover. <laughs> <laughs> so in the residential property space, I'm buying probably a three, and this is my risk profile taking into account. I'm buying a three to four bedroom house that I can add some value to on a good sized block that maybe in a regional centre that could even have the potential to subdivide. But worst case, the ability to put granny flat on or just some add value as a general rule, understanding that a building and pest would be done to know that it's not going to fall down. It's not totally, it's just cosmetic stuff. So that's probably what I would do. I'd be wary of the yield. I actually did a video before I came in this office about a property we've found for 647000 renting for six twenty, which was outstanding and doesn't need anything done to it. It's a brick home. Now, my point there is you need to have a good yield in this time, right? And and this is expanding again. But when I first started investing, interest rates were 7%, right? So the yield, the gross yield I wanted or was aiming for was around 6%. So in these type of markets, we're aiming for close to 5%, I reckon. Yeah. Yeah, mm. that's a fair point. Yeah. Um, good answer. Well, that's that's all I could come up with today. That's yeah. when you're on the spot. What are you doing with it? <laughs> I'd be in two minds. It'd go one of two ways. I would either A, buy something that's like a maybe a shabby type of shack vibe in an up-and-coming holiday destination spot. Like I'd try and find the new Byron type of thing, you know, um, along the coastline and make it a little project and maybe Airbnb it. Um, or I'd go what I would say is more conservative and buy a two-bedroom villa unit that needs a cosmetic update only, like maybe 20 grand spent on it in the middle ring of Melbourne as a fallback position for me if I ever needed, like if shit hit the fan, yeah. where can I go? Yeah, I like it. Yeah. You've got a bunker. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. Yeah. Because fortunately or unfortunately, as a single female, mm. You have this security thing that you want and need. Yeah. I feel, and I do a lot of clarity calls with this exact conversation. It's like, okay, worst case scenarios, I want to have a roof over my head, right? And that's just the way. We we can't change the way we think and feel about the world. So absolutely get that and get it done and then everything else is almost a bonus, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm. Like I could, I mean, I do have a few investment properties. I could go and live in one of them. It wouldn't be my ideal lifestyle though. I haven't Mm. bought in areas that I would happily, I would live in them but I wouldn't Mm. be that excited, you know. I mean, or maybe, I don't know. Well, it's a bit of a tree change. Yeah, Queensland, why not? Yeah, Yeah. warmer. Apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I think... You're talking Airbnb, I'm talking granny flat. Like there's just a shortage. Like people need to live somewhere and and the more we can provide for them, the better off everyone will be, the owner and you're helping someone out by giving them a roof. Mine would be a pet-friendly Airbnb, just saying there's a lack of those, yeah. (laughs) 
There is, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. Do you uh, take Harry to a pet resort? Oh, it's Henry. Harry's my brother. <laughs> oh, Harry's my dog. That's right. <laughs> Harry's your brother. People so. always get confused. Uh, um, I took Henry to an Airbnb last weekend in the Dandenongs actually that was pet friendly, oh, cool. which is great. It's perfect, but there's mm. a market for that for sure. People taking their pets rather than taking their kids' places these days. So, <laughs> well, yeah. The reason I ask, I was with someone a few weeks ago yeah. and they love their poodle or whatever it is yeah. and they went on a longer holiday and their pet went to a pet resort. Yes, yep. And you can order dine-in meals for your pet. Oh, my God. And you can turn the TV on. You can have its own TV show. And it's oh, like, my this, goodness. This next level. Where was it? What state? Do you know? It was New South Wales. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Pet accommodation. That's a whole other thing, oh, isn't oh, it? I'd like, be so, as a new business venture, I'd yeah. be all over that. Yeah. There agree. is such a market because pet owners like you and I, yeah. probably not to the extent me, but definitely, yeah. like we get emotionally wrapped up. And oh, it's like yeah. We're not letting our dog sleep outside or our cat or whatever. No. It's inside. Royal service. And, and it's got uh, electric blanket. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Shout out to the pet owners. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I think that rounds out our Q&A for today. Uh, we always love questions. I think we would also love to know what experts you want on because it's always great for John and I to interview someone who is an expert in their field. If you feel there's a bit of gap in some of the knowledge we've covered of late, then shout out, let us know. What is it? Who should we get in? Who do we need to speak to? Recommendations are always welcomed. So please let us know. I've got a lawyer coming on in the next few weeks as oh, well. great. So anyone's got some questions for her, I'd be greatly appreciated. Yeah, awesome. Mm. All right. Well, until next week, have a great week. Okay. Bye. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And if you're a first home buyer, I had the course just for you. Everything from pre-approval all the way through into your settlement and everything in between. How to place an offer, how to bid at auction, what to even look for at an open home and what questions to ask the agents. It's all covered in my online course. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.